Amen. Please be seated. If you do have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. This morning we will be looking at verses 1 through 7. And this is our fourth sermon on a similar topic, kind of a series within a series, if you will. Um, And that is the topic of submission. Peter has interjected these theological truths in the midst of a greater section, what I would call the thesis of his book, which is to grow the church and the individual Christian to prepare them to face suffering. And so we remember the really heart of Peter here is to grow us in holiness so that we are equipped and prepared to face trials and suffering when they come. And one of the ways he sees we need help in that is to teach us on this topic of submission. We've addressed it as it relates to submission to government authorities. We have also seen how submission is to be given from servants to masters, or uh, really to modernize that language, uh, to those whom you are employed. And in this final section on this topic, um, Peter will now address how wives are to be subject to their husbands. Now, even before I say anything this morning from our passage, I want to offer two cautions. Two cautions that must be understood when we come into a text such as this. One, just like with the government and just like to those we work for, we cannot, we must not be compelled to sin. No one can or has the right to submit you into sin. Um, And so this is not a um, pass for husbands to treat their wives like dirt, to use them, or to demand their will unlovingly or in any way. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.15, As he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. And so as we discuss a passage on submission, particularly wives submitting to your husbands, um, this is not an excuse for um, the husband to use this to abuse this. In fact, we'll get to that specifically when we address it in verse 7. Two, and, and equally as important, while we read this text as it's written, and we should, this is addressed to wives and to husbands. We do not forget, or we must not forget, that marriage is also a picture of of Christ's relationship with the church. We're told in Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. These words would fit nicely in 1 Peter. Um, Peter and Paul saying very similar things. And so however this relationship is supposed to work, however you interpret a passage like this, you then also have to apply it to the relationship between Christ and the church. And that should give us a a holy pause as we seek to rightly understand a a weighty topic such as this. Well, These two cautions as our uh, prelude, would you please follow along with me Um, either in your word or on the insert that came along with your bulletin, as I read for us the word of the Lord um, for us today. 1 Peter chapter 3, 
Um, I'll read verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning the external, the braiding of hair, and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you to the grace of life, so that your prayer may not be hindered. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. And he has promised us, just as the water falls to the earth and gives nourishment to the flower of the field, so too will his word go forth and bring you what you need for this day. Would you please bow with me as we pray that he does this for us. Our Lord and our God, we need you today. Our world is busy telling us what is good, what is right, what is appropriate. And yet your word, which has never changed, which is from our creator, and which is for our good and for your glory, tells us how we are to act especially in such a unique and special relationship as that of marriage. But Father, even more, this really tells us how we as a church are to act toward Christ, as we are the bride of Christ, as the, as the body of Christ. I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts this day, that not only will we hear your word, but that we'd be transformed by it. And O oh Lord, may you be glorified in all that is said, and would you give me the words to say, I pray this in Christ's name, amen. One of my favorite stories about Martin Luther, and I don't know if I've shared it from the pulpit or not, um, but if I have, um, you're welcome to hear it again. Um, it goes like this. Martin Luther was a very cheerful man, um, but he had terrible fits of depression, occasional severe bouts of depression. He was at one time so depressed that his friends recommended he go away for a change of air to see if he can get some relief. Well, he went away, but he came back as depressed as ever. And one day he was coming down to the sitting room, and he finds his wife, Kate, Catherine von Bora, sitting there dressed in all black. Oh, oh, said Luther, are you going to a funeral? And Kate responds, why, dear doctor, have you not heard that God is dead? My husband, Martin Luther, would never be in such a state of mind if he had a living God to trust in. Since you act like God is dead, I will be a faithful wife and join you in mourning him. It is said that Luther quickly recovered from this bout of depression. Luther loved his wife. He loved her dearly, and he trusted her. She knew how, without a word, to get to his heart, and to show him the foolishness of his thoughts and of his actions. Marriage is a wonderful gift from the Lord. It is a special relationship. It will only find success if the Lord is placed first and foremost in it. And here, 
in the most intimate of the institutions, government, work, and then home, Peter wants to bless us and to bless our marriages. And he does so by giving us three actions, um, two actions for the wives to take and one action for the husbands to take, so that our marriages will honor God and remember his overall thesis, prepare us to face trials and sufferings in a lost and dying world. And so that is what we will look at today. Three calls to action to benefit or bless our marriages and to prepare us in holiness. And that first call to action we will see is that a gentle spirit promotes faithfulness. You could state it like this, pursue a gentle spirit. We find this, and this is a little bit of change to your outline. Um, We're really going to focus on verses 1 and 2 for this point. So a gentle spirit promotes faithfulness, verses 1 and 2. And then secondly, and and this is where we'll expand, um, wives, adorn yourselves with submission. We find this in verses 3 through 6. So really the bulk of the text. And then thirdly, and not least important, Peter says the husbands are to submit as heirs of the grace of life. And we see that in verse 7. And so 1 and 2, a gentle spirit promotes faithfulness. 3 through 6, adorn yourself with submission. And then verse 7, submit as heirs to the grace of life. Would you please follow along with me as we unpack the word of the Lord this morning? We will begin by considering how a gentle spirit promotes faithfulness. And because of the times in which we live, I need to make um, one more statement really before we unpack this sermon. Um, It's it's so implied uh, that it's easy to overlook, but the current cultural climate we're in uh, necessitates this. Peter presupposes the biblical view of marriage. Peter presupposes the biblical view of marriage in this passage. One man and one woman getting married, getting instituted by God. We saw this, if you were with us, in our series um, on Genesis. Genesis, really, Genesis 2, uh, that that end section. Um, You could talk about it in the end of section 1 as well. Um, But Peter has in mind the biblical view of marriage. His goal is to grow the church in holiness. He wants the church to be more holy in its behavior, which means he wants what's best for its people. And what is being stated here is that following the biblical model is what is best for people. I mean, that's taken for granted today. It, it's, it's not loving to let someone live in sin. It's not loving to let them pursue their sinful desires. It is loving to show them the truth and to have them seek to follow it in their lives. And so Peter starts there really by presupposing it, but he does have that in mind. Now with that in mind, he says this is what it should look like. He says marriage should look like this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And I hope by this point that phrase, be subject to, um, your Bible may translate that submission. Um, It doesn't scare you. As we've done three sermons now on submission, um, having another one on it um, hopefully doesn't frighten us. Um, We have used, or or Peter has anyway, this word likewise, tying all of these topics together, Um, really saying in the same way we've talked about submitting to government authorities, in the same way we've talked about submitting to those uh, placed over us in in the servant-master relationship or in the workforce, in the same or similar way, this is how marriage should work. 
wives should submit or be subject to their husbands. Again, remembering that in no way does that mean a husband has a right to call his wife into sin or to demand sin of her, just like the other relationships. And, and Peter's not stating something new here. It, this is not the first time that we see this language. Um, it's not the first time we have the idea of submission. You could go back to Genesis chapter 3. Um, uh, Genesis chapter 3, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your, shall, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And so in um, administering the punishment for the curse, um, God's declaration uh, to the woman is that the man shall rule over you. And it's part of, of how things were going to be. We could also go to Ephesians. Uh, I read the section in Ephesians 5 dealing with husbands, but Ephesians 5, to 24 addresses wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so this is not a new topic. He's saying submit to your wives. What he's really saying is follow the biblical model of submission. Um, but he does do something different. Peter does change um, or, or, or inform us of a benefit of this. He says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Again, the biblical teaching. And then the rationale. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. We cannot underestimate the benefit of biblical living around others. When we conduct ourselves in a way that God has laid out, it blesses those around us. See how Luther's wife submitted to him in jest to prove a point and how it changed his mood, it changed the situation in saying, well, if you're going to treat God as if he's dead, I'm going to be faithful to you and I'm going to join you in it. Without a word, just by her demeanor, just by her sitting under him, she showed the folly of his way and, and led him to the right conclusion. That's powerful. That, that, is, that is so powerful to, to lovingly sit alongside someone and to respect them and to, and to listen to them and, and to treat them well, even when they don't deserve it. It can change lives. And that's what the text is saying. It can change lives. Now, I love what Calvin says here uh, because I want to be very, very, very careful. Um, God is not calling any of you to save your spouse. You can't save your spouse. None of you are capable of doing it. So listen to Calvin um, as he gives some good war words of warning. Peter's words are not to be understood as though a holy life alone can lead the unbelieving to Christ, but that it does soften and pacify the mind so that they may have less dislike for religion. For as bad examples create offense, so good ones afford a great help. Then Peter shows his wives, or shows that wives by a holy and pious life could do so much as to prepare their husbands without speaking to them on religion so that they might embrace the faith of Christ. I don't want any wife um, feeling regret if their husband does not know the Lord and them saying, I just didn't submit enough. Please do not read that into this passage. 
It is not your submission or your lack of submission for your husband's faith. Only God saves. Only God can save. And that is done through the power of his Holy Spirit, through the working of what the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in their life as they submit to the word of God. That being said, please do not minimize the power of good conduct, namely in following the biblical model. Think about it. There are certain things that you do now, and I'm I'm thinking of you husbands, that you didn't do before you were married. You probably don't even realize it. But the longer you've been married, if we come to go to some of you that have been married for a long time, there'll be things that someone as an outsider would see you do and go, why do you fold towels that way? Or why do you put things away that way? Why do you stack cans that way? And you'll go, I don't know, that's just how you stack cans. But what we would find if we really could dig into your life is, oh no, your, your spouse has corrected that in you enough that you now understand that's the right way to do it. I had an example about folding clothes, but I don't, so I took that out. But, um, you know, if we look at your life, you would see that by living with someone, you take on characteristics, you take on traits, you pick up on habits, you, you follow the way that they do things to the point that I love talking with someone that's been married 40, 50, 60 years, and we, you almost say they're the same person. Because they're, they're just so together and they're, they're so complete and they work so well together and it's like, wow, we really have meshed. And that's what we're talking about here is, is if you have a, a believing spouse, and he's talking about wives here, but it works both ways, um, and an unbelieving spouse, think about it. As that believing spouse goes to church and prays for the family and reads the Bible and cares for the children and watches their language and asks for forgiveness and all the things that the Bible commands us to do as Christians, don't you think there's a good chance that will rub off on the unbelieving spouse? It has to, or it will drive them further from God. But that's the Lord's part. Our part is to be that example, to live in that way, and to offer ourselves as a, as a living testimony to who God is and what he's done. And God directly says, women, this is a high calling for you. Especially in the circumstance of an unbelieving spouse, this is your calling, is to live faithfully for your husband, but ultimately live for the Lord. But if we were to continue in our passage, um, we get um, how this is done. What does this look like practically? Because this is a high task. This is a high calling. And I accept that, that this is a challenging words. Um, but in our second section, we really kind of see it fleshed out a little more. So would you look with me at um, verses 3 through 6, um, which is how wives are to adorn themselves. And that is adorn yourself with submission. Verses 3 and 4 say this, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, so many qualifiers in this section. Um, Peter is not saying, if any of you ladies today are here with braided hair or gold jewelry or nice clothing, you're in sin. Please do not read that into this passage. Neither is Peter saying that if you cared about how you looked before you came today, you are in sin. That is not at all what's in this passage. Please do not read that into this passage. Peter is saying what should be truly attractive and what we should desire and what we should pursue is character. Is character. 
is the, the inner spirit, the, the character um, of the woman of God is the most precious and the most beautiful and the most beneficial for their lives. And it's a, to his previous section, it's a witnessing tool. What a, what a neat thing that God is saying. When you pursue his righteousness and his holiness and, and who he is and who he's made you to be, it will show others who he is also. Now, this is very countercultural. And I, I fully admit that the world is against you, ladies. I cannot tell you the amount of times I've prayed for you um, and I've prayed for my students uh, because the world will tell you that this is all a bunch of rubbish. As a former teacher, I have, I have had more conversations about one topic than any other. And it's not theology, it's not Calvinism, it's not predestination. It's about modesty and, and poor mothers having to find clothing that fit their ladies in a way that is appropriate. And I have wept with mothers over that very topic because it is hard. And I don't even understand. I'm a guy. I, I confess to you, I'm a guy. I, I get it secondarily. You're the ones facing this. And I pray for you for that because it is hard. And for you adult women, it is hard. It is hard in a society that tells you unless you look this way, you dress this way, you act this way, you're good enough. It's not true. Don't lose heart. And, and I state this any chance I can, and, and we just have too many young ladies in this room um, for me not to. Please hear me. You are beautiful and you are precious because of who you are in Christ. And don't ever let some foolish guy tell you that by the shape of your body or what you wear or don't wear, it makes you valuable. Please do not listen to that foolishness because God says who you are and what you're worth, and you're worth everything to him. Hear me on that. You need to hear that because the world's not telling you that. Do not let your adorning be external, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, which is the imperishable beauty. And Peter gives us an example of this. He says, ladies, if you really want to know how to, to attain to that in, imperishable beauty, that, that inner spirit, look at Sarah. Look at Sarah. This is how holy women who hoped in God adorned themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed God, or excuse me, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Lord here is, is the equivalent to master. It's not capital L Lord. He's not, she's not calling him God. That would be blasphemy, um, as I interjected in there, a bit of a Freudian slip. But Sarah called him Lord, Master. She honored God and honored her husband in this way. She submitted to him. And if you look at their life and you, you look at what took place and, and look at how she came alongside him and, and worked with him, all the people around them were blessed. We are blessed as we're part of this bloodline. You are called daughters. You're her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. And what is so frightening? What, what is Peter saying um, that you ladies have to be worried about? Is, can I submit? Is, is that good? Can I submit and that not be something scary? Can I, can I honor someone in that way if, if I give them control in that way over my life? Is that going to harm me? Is that going to, to um, not work out in my favor? Well, Peter's saying submit to them. And, and good, and do not fear anything that is frightening, because again, you belong to God. Ultimately, you are His. 
And you should feel empowered to do this. I pray for you. We pray for your marriages. We, we pray that, that you are serving one another, that wives, you are submitting to your husbands. But husbands, <laughs> but husbands, you may have been sitting back this, this whole time and, and going, all right, yeah, you get them. Like you tell that wife, well, I'm so glad you're preaching this sermon. It is a great day to be a husband. This is awesome. You let her have it. We don't get off easy on this. We don't get off easy on this. In fact, I think it's part of our judgment that Peter only uses one verse to describe what we have got to do in response. Wives are to submit unto their husbands as unto the Lord. Would you look with me at verse 7 to see, husbands, what are we supposed to do? And what we're supposed to do is submit as heirs of the grace of life. And I'll, I'll tell you some of the most terrifying words that have ever been spoken to me as, as, this, as the Ephesians passage was preached at my wedding, and that's about all I remember from the sermon. It was way too long, but um, uh, Pastor Mike offered those words and then said this, simply put to me, love like Jesus. There you go, husbands. There's your sentence. Wives, you need to submit and adorn yourself beautifully. Husbands, all you got to do is just love like Jesus. Okay, now we're back down where we need to be. Let's talk about it. Because boy, is that a heavy phrase, isn't it? Boy, is that a heavy sentence. Is that a heavy calling? Peter um, goes about it th this way. He says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. You could, your translation may say, husbands, uh, be considerate toward your wives. Um, but do you know what that really requires? I, I love a, a commentator said this. This is, this is really unpacking this section. The manner of your life, husbands, must reflect a commitment to knowing your bride well, responding to her sensitivity, never imposing your expectations, but making allowances, sacrificing your preferences, changing your priorities because you want to show honor to her. There is no room for abusive words or deeds, for controlling, manipulative, domineering behavior. Your whole life, men, should be shaped by a commitment to understand and to honor your bride. That's how you submit, husbands. That's how you likewise submit. They seek to submit to your leadership and you do everything in your power to know them, to know their wishes, to know their desires, to know their strengths and to know their weaknesses and then to come alongside them and love them in that way. Just as Jesus did. Now, I have to address it because it's in the text. Peter does call you wise weaker vessels. I don't have a whole lot of time to get into a cultural debate here. Uh, but I do have one example um, just to, to prove my point. Um, and I'll, I'll say this. Physiological differences stemming from the ability to produce testosterone means that generally men are stronger physically than women. And I'll offer this as my proof text. Male athlete Matthew Frazier has won the CrossFit Games five years in a row, labeled fittest man on earth, five years in a row, in, in a, in a week-long feat of, um, of test as has um, a friend of his, female athlete, Tia Claire Toomey. Both of these are five-time CrossFit champions, um, endured the same test of various weights and, 
exercises and events to determine the fittest on earth. It's really a neat thing to watch. Matthew Frazier's current maximum back squat is 485 pounds. Tia Claire Toomey, her maximum back squat is 330 pounds. It was actually in kilos I had to convert that, but arguably two of the fittest people on earth, the, the, the fittest man and the fittest woman according to CrossFit metrics, and there is a noticeable difference in the amount of weight they can push. Why? Because Matthew Frazier has the ability as a man to produce more testosterone, which leads to a greater degree of muscle. Now, I can't lift 330-pound back squat. I don't know if I ever could. Tierra Claire Toomey is certainly stronger than me in, in every way. But generally speaking, when, when Peter's using this, he, he, he really does mean that, that physiologically, men tend to be the stronger. Um, and, and, and we have protective instincts. We, we have desires to care for our wives. And again, it goes back to what he said, um, to know them and to serve them and to humble ourselves before them will come with that protective instinct. And this is not some macho thing. It's simply God's design for your relationship. And, and in case we, you get too far down that and you're like, well, you're being unfair, um, he kind of equalizes it here. Husbands, um, you know, honor your wives as they're the weaker vessels. And he says this, since they are heirs with you to the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, the grace of life here is most likely referred, referring to child rearing. And let me just say, I don't question the Bible's teaching. I fully agree with what it says. But I have witnessed childbirth, and women are almost always stronger than men in most regards, especially their mental capacity to endure pain. We may can have more muscle, but they've got us beat everywhere else. Um, and so there is this, like, pairing here. Men protect Honor, love, sacrifice, know, serve your wives just like Jesus. Wives, honor, love, serve your husband in submission. Join together in the beautiful heirs with the grace of life and raising of children, working with one another, complementing strengths and weaknesses, playing together, raising godly men and godly women of the future generations. And it's only when we balance these two together that we get the full picture now, I conclude with this. What if you're not married? Has this been a wasted morning if you're here today and you're not married? Have I just been going on and maybe you've tuned it out? Um, maybe it's, it's enough that you've followed along. I hope you did. Um, because regardless of your marital state today, um, this passage applies to you. And it applies to you because of what we said at the beginning. Because it applies to the church. Because the church is called the bride of Christ. We as the church submit to Jesus. We are called to honor him in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. We're called to not worry much about our outward appearance, but rather pursue the fruit of the Spirit. But unlike in Peter's admonition where um, you have the chance of a wife and an unbelieving husband, we're not working under that premise. We're, we don't have that model, do we? For we have the most faithful husband. We have the most faithful spouse. We have Jesus. He is the one who brings us back when we're unfaithful. We're the unbelieving one. We're the one prone to wander. We're the one to prone to stray and try to get away. And he's the one that lovingly calls us back again and again and again. And on Christ's behalf, he promises to lead us 
and to protect us and to intercede us, intercede for us. He promises to know us. He promises to be personal in our lives. He recognizes us as the weaker vessel, and yet he calls us children of God in his prized possession. My prayer for all of us this day is that we walk away from this passage grateful that God directs us in how we should worship him. God directs us in what our relationships should look like. And God teaches us how to model that to the world, especially in our marriages. May God protect all of our marriages in this church. And may he continue to cleanse us as the bride of Christ. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, the world tries very hard to tell us what is good and what is right. But you and your wisdom, you through your word, have demonstrated for us and sacrificially through Jesus Christ have showed us what true faithfulness looks like, what true love looks like, what true submission looks like. Father, I pray that this passage would not be misapplied. I, I pray that, that husbands would know that they first have to be right with you, that they have to know their wives and love their wives and be involved in the life of their wives and only then can they ask submission of them. It's far easier to submit to someone who is sacrificing themselves for you. It's, it's synergetic, Lord, just like our relationship with you is you love us more, we are empowered more to love you, which causes this wonderful cycle. Oh Lord, I pray for the marriages in this church. I pray for the young people. I especially pray for our precious ladies of this church. Protect them in a world that tells them they're only good if they look a certain way, dress a certain way, and act a certain way. Lord, raise up godly men. Raise up men that tell them, no, who you are in Christ is the most important characteristic that you have. Help us all as a church to raise men and women to fear you and live rightly before the lost and dying world. And may we be a powerful example to what it means and what it looks like to trust you. And may we offer hope to those who have no hope in this day. Lord, I pray that you would be with us. Help us when we struggle in this. Forgive us when we sin. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.